Open your Bibles up to Genesis chapter 15. If you have a welcome table Bible, it's on uh, page 11. As we go through this, this chapter today, we're going we're gonna to see a, a covenant ceremony take place. Um, that it's going to formalize this relationship between God and Abram and confirm the promises, that, the promises that God made to Abram back in chapter 12. Remember, we heard the promises in chapter 12, the beginning when God called Abram to come out of the land of Ur and, um, and, and, and said, I will give you uh, offspring and land and blessing, right? I will bless the nations through you. God made promises to Abram in chapter 12. Here he's going to formalize them in a covenant. We're also going to see one of the most foundational truths of the gospel right here in Genesis chapter 15. It's going to be laid out uh, in verse 6. And, and throughout this, or, or through this covenant ceremony and, and that gospel truth, we're going to see God's patient grace. If you don't remember anything else today, I want you to remember that phrase, patient grace. God has patient grace. We're going to see that at work to care for us when we begin to grow impatient with him. If you've ever questioned God's timing on something in your life, today's passage will offer a helpful perspective for you and me both to consider. And so I want to ask the Lord to, and his spirit to open our eyes to his word this morning and we might receive it. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word that we can come and open it up and because you've given us your spirit as your children, we have the mind of Christ, we're told, in your word. And so we pray you would open our eyes to see wonderful things here, that you would help us to glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ as we see your faithfulness, your covenant faithfulness, not only to Abram, but to all your people, including us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So the question has to be asked, are you a patient person? Answer me now. So there's a general consensus already. Um, we live in a day where patience feels more like a vice than it does a virtue, right? You've heard the saying. Is that the saying? Patience is a virtue? That's the saying, right? Um, it's, it's more like a hurdle now, feels like. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to pick up in the recording. We'll just cut that out. Uh, let's pray. That's, it's, it's, yeah. it's true for me. I'll just admit it, okay? We live in a culture, though, that demands immediacy, right? I mean, I mean just... Every post, everything, like, we just want everything now. We don't like getting stuck behind slow drivers or slow uh, tractors. We, we don't like getting connected to slow Wi-Fi. We don't like the thought that the Christmas presents we're ordering online might not get delivered two days after we order them, right? Everybody's talking about the supply chain issue, and we're like, how am I, I going to get my presents on time, right? We get anxious to find out the test results in the doctor's office. We get agitated waiting for a callback for a job interview. We get angry when it's time to renew our driver's license. You know what I'm talking about. 
We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. And especially when it's coupled with not knowing, right? We don't like waiting, and especially when it's coupled with not knowing. And so we're going we're gonna to really be able to relate then to Abram in this passage because he's received promises from God. We saw that back in chapter 12. And he's still waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. We're years into this promise. And next week in chapter 16, we'll see how many years already we're into this promise. And we're not, we won't even be halfway into the, to, to the number of years that Abram is waiting for God to fulfill this promise. He's still waiting for these promises to be fulfilled here in chapter 15, but he doesn't know, he doesn't know how. He doesn't know when or, or, or how they'll be fulfilled yet by God, and, and he's quickly getting tired of waiting. And so this morning, we're gonna, the Lord is going to help us see through Abram and his relationship with him that even when we are impatient with God, and we are. God is always patient with us. We need to remember this. So let's take a look at what's going on in chapter 15. Verse 1. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. That phrase, after these events, that's tying us back into chapter 14 and talking about what happened there when Abram defeated those four kings and he rescued his nephew Lot and then he turned down the spoils of war offered to him by the king of Sodom, right? Abram said to the king of Sodom, he said, I have raised my hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I will not take the thread of a sandal strap or anything that belongs to you so that you, king of Sodom, can never say to me, I have made Abram rich. Abram made that oath. He raised his hand in an oath to the Lord. Now here in chapter 15, the Lord affirms Abram's commitment by once again declaring his own commitment to Abram. Don't be afraid, Abram. Don't be afraid. I am your shield. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. By turning down the reward from the king of Sodom, Abram showed he was willing to wait for what God had promised him, but impatience is starting to creep in. Look at verse 2. Abram said, the Lord God, Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me? Since I'm childless and, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, look, you, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. He's frustrated. Abram is frustrated. Back in chapter 12, God promised him offspring, right? And he promised him land and, and blessing, but Abram is still waiting on those things. In essence, what Abram is saying here is, Lord, what good is the reward if I have no son to pass it on to? You promised me to give me offspring, but I'm still childless, he says. What, what are you going to do about that? Are you really going to let someone who's not my true son be the heir of my household? This is his line of thinking. Now, before we look at what God uh, did to respond to Abraham, before we look at that, we need to understand something here, okay? Does God owe Abram an explanation? Does God owe Abram anything? Does God owe anyone anything? No. No. He's our creator, which means we owe him. And what do we owe him? Everything. 
our lives, our allegiance, our obedience, our trust, all of it. We owe God everything. He owes us nothing. We need to know that as we move forward here. God has every right to ignore Abram's questions and every right to demand answers from Abram for why he's questioning God. He has every right to punish Abram for Abram's impatience because Abram has no right to be impatient. Not with God. In fact, God has every right to turn away from Abram altogether. Abram didn't deserve or earn the things that God promised to him. It was out of God's own goodness and generosity that he made those promises. God could have rebuked and rejected Abram here, but what does he do instead? He responds with patient grace, and he reassures Abram, both verbally and visually. Look at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to him, this one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. In verse 4, the Lord tells Abram, listen, When I said I would give this land to your offspring, I meant your offspring. That your heir will be of your own flesh and blood, Abram. This is the word of the Lord to Abram. We see this phrase twice here. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Abram. It's the word of the one who is truth, which means it is true. Nothing more needs to be said or done than what God has already said the promises that he has made. But because God is patient and gracious, he says and he does more to convince Abram. He takes Abram outside and essentially says, Abram, Abram, look up. Look up. You raised your hand in an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that you would not take a thread or sandal strap or anything that belongs to the king of Sodom so he can never say, I made Abram rich. Abram, I am the Lord, the God most high, the creator of heaven and earth. Abram, I created those stars that you see in the night sky above you. Try and count them. Dare you. Spoiler alert, you won't be able to. I think a couple weeks ago I suggested go outside and look up in the sky. Just, just, with the naked eye, try to count the stars, just in one spot. And then if you have a pair of binoculars, keep looking in that spot. Stick your binoculars up to your eyes. You'll have to recount. There are stars that we can't even see. Abram, look up. Count the stars if you're able. That is what your offspring will be like. Neither You can't count the stars, and neither will you be able to number the offspring that I will give to you. Why? Because I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. Abram, look up at the stars that I spoke into existence, and trust me. When God created those stars, you know how, like, like Genesis 1 is 14 chapters ago now, right? We're past that. 
we've, we've gone from like the history of the world in the first 11 chapters, and now we're focused on Abram. We sort of forget sometimes the connections that God in, is, is doing in the midst of those things. When he created those stars, do you think that he knew this night was coming? Do you think that one of his purposes in making those stars was to take Abram outside his tent and lift his eyes up to look at them and try and count them? Absolutely. Does God know what he's doing? Absolutely. Is he not a gracious and patient God? And guess what? He's kept those stars in place so that you and I can walk outside our house and we can look up into the sky and be reminded night after night of the faithfulness of the one who created him. Psalm 8, 3 and 4 says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him? The son of man that you look after him. God brought Abram outside to observe the heavens so that Abram could see that God had not, in fact, forgotten him and that God would actually look after him. How did Abram respond? Verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. This verse, this verse is critical to our understanding of the gospel. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been plagued with unrighteousness. Because every human being born after Adam and Eve is born with a sin nature, this this predisposition to rebel against our creator. But in Genesis 3.15, we get the beginning of the gospel proclamation, the first time the good news of redemption is proclaimed, right? In Genesis 3.15, God promised to bring a serpent crusher from the family line of Eve, one who would be able to defeat the devil once and for all and finally destroy his evil influence over the world and all humanity. But we don't have to read very far into Genesis to realize that everyone from the family line of Eve is born with a heart of a serpent. We saw it in Noah. We saw it in Abraham, Abram already. Right? We're going to see it in person after person after person. So even Abram is plagued with unrighteousness. And we've we've already seen evidence of that when he deceived the Pharaoh in Egypt, back in chapter 12. So how is it then that he can be called righteous here? It was credited to him as righteousness, it says. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it. It's really hard to say together. Credited it. Credit, he gave it to him. It was credited to him. As righteousness, Abram's righteousness did not come from within himself. God didn't look at Abram and go, this is a righteous man, so I'll give him all these promises. God came to Abram and made all these promises. And Abram believed. Why did he get the righteousness? Because he took God at his word. He believed what God had said. Righteousness came to Abram by faith. He didn't earn it by anything he had done to obey God, and he didn't lose it by anything he had done to disobey God. Notice that this verse comes after uh, the, the account in chapter 12 when he was very deceptive. That's important. 
He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to his account. But if righteousness didn't come from Abram and it was credited to Abram, that means it has to come from somewhere else, right? Where did it come from? Whose righteousness was it? It came from God himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, to take that upon himself so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Abram received the righteousness of Christ and he received it because of what Christ had done, not because of anything Abram had done. But Christ hasn't been crucified yet when Abram is credited with his righteousness right? So how is it that God can look at Abram here and look at Abram's sin debt that he's piling up with every act of disobedience and and still call him righteous if Christ won't come for almost 2,000 years after Abram? The Apostle Paul answers that question for us in Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now, The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Everything in the Old Testament is pushing us to Jesus and his righteousness. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, in his extraordinary patience, in his patient grace, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God was showing Abram divine forbearance, patient grace. God gave Abram a 2,000-year credit on righteousness because before God even created the world, he had already planned to send his one and only son into it to pay the price to redeem sinners from their sin debt and give them his own righteousness as a free gift of his grace. And anyone who believes God, anyone who takes him at his word, as Abram did here, receives the righteousness of his son by faith. When Jesus was crucified, he proved that God is righteous. This is what Paul's telling us. Because until that point, it seemed like God was unjust for for letting some sins go unpunished. A lot of them. But in his divine forbearance, in his patient grace toward undeserving sinners, God put forth his own son as a propitiation, a a sacrifice who, who shed his own blood to satisfy God's righteous wrath against sinners and to reconcile them to him. Through Christ's crucifixion, God proved that he is just, righteous, right to punish sin. And he also proved that only he is the one who can justify and make righteous Sinners, call them righteous. And everyone who believes that receives God's righteousness as a gift. It's not by things that you do to earn it. It's his grace to give it. So do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? Romans 4, 23 through 25 says, Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. We are righteous because of Christ. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. We believe the Lord and he credits, he credits it to us as righteousness. With Abram, God looked forward to the cross where Abram's sin debt would be paid in full. With us, God looks backward to the cross where our sin debt was paid in full. And when we fail in sin as believers, which we still do, you feel this, I feel this, we know this, right? When we fail in sin as believers, God continues to show us his patient grace by pointing us back to the cross of Jesus Christ, where the one who had no sin took our sin upon himself so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And God continues to show us his patient grace by pointing us forward to the eternity to come when Jesus Christ, the righteous one, returns in all of his glory and we will experience in full perfection the reality of the righteousness that we've been given in him. In his patient grace, God reminds us of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And that's exactly what he does for Abram in the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 7. He also said to him, this being God to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord God, how can I know that I will possess it? He said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So he brought all these things to him, cut them in half. He brought all these things to him, cut them in half, and laid the pieces opposite each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure." When the sun had set, it was dark, and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch appeared and passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hethites, Perizzites, Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. The first six verses focused on God's promise to give Abram offspring. These last verses focus on God's promise to give Abram and his offspring the land. And God confirmed both of those promises to Abram here with a formal covenant ceremony. Abram cut the cow and the goat and the the ram in half and he laid them out in in this row, uh, uh, divided the the, the two halves opposite each other so that there was a space to walk through uh, in the middle of them. The birds were too small to cut in half, and so he put a turtle dove on one side opposite uh, of the pigeon. 
and, uh, and, and laid all of these animals out. So there's, a, there's the animals, half the animals on either side and this path to walk through in between. Verse 18 tells us God made a covenant with Abram. The Hebrew there literally says that the Lord cut a covenant. That's referring to what's happening to these animals, the cutting of the animals in half. Normally in a covenant ceremony like this, the two parties that are involved in the covenant would walk together down the middle in between these animal pieces and swear an oath to each other that they would become like the animals they were passing through if they broke the covenant. But look what God does. He puts Abram in a deep sleep. And then he describes what will happen to the offspring that he promised to give to Abram. And what God describes here in verses 13 and 14, we can see their fulfillment of in Exodus 1 through 13. What God says here, when he says, know this, he meant it. We can see that. He's talking about the Exodus when the Israelites are brought out of slavery in the land of Egypt. Abram's offspring will experience hardship, but they eventually will return to the land that God has promised to them. Abram, however, God says, will be spared from that hardship, and he'll die in peace at a good old age. After God tells Abram these things, while Abram is still asleep, God passes between the animals by himself. That's really, really important. God alone walks through the middle. The smoking fire pot, the flaming torch, these are representative of God's presence. And by passing between the animals alone, God pledges his commitment to keep the promises that he's made to Abram independently of any commitment on Abram's part. God's commitment to keep his promises is not tied to Abram's obedience. It's tied to God's faithfulness. By passing between the animals by himself, God is saying, may I become like these animals if I break my covenant promises. That's a big deal. He's binding himself to the promises that he's made to Abram. Look at this patient grace that's on display here. God has already promised to give Abram offspring and land and blessing, and because he's God, his word is good enough, is it not? There's no deceit in him because he is the source of all truth, and he's sovereign over all things, so there's nothing that can keep him from, uh, uh, from keeping the promises that he's made. What God promises to do, he does. And yet he goes out of his way to bind himself to Abram through a covenant in order to show Abram how serious God is about keeping the promises that he made to him. Is this not a gracious gracious and patient God? Is he not the same God who deals patiently and graciously with us when we impatiently wonder what he's up to? Now, as an earthly father, I am prone to respond to my kids' impatience when they get impatient. I'm prone to respond with impatience of my own. I'm sure none of you can relate to that. Not so with our Heavenly Father. That's not so with our Heavenly Father. He is patient with our impatience. 
Isn't that so good? Abram's questions didn't throw God off track. And we need to know this. Neither will yours and mine. They won't throw God off track. God can handle our questions because he already knows them before we even ask them. If he had Abram in mind, and not just Abram, but if he had Abram in mind when he made the stars to bring him out and show him proof of his faithfulness, I think he can handle anything we can throw at him. What is it then that you're waiting on God for? What are you questioning his timing on? In what areas of your life does it feel like God isn't keeping his promises? Lord, why, why cancer? Why now? Why whatever the disease is? Why can't I find a job? Why am I stuck in the one I have? Why is this relationship so, so hard? Why isn't anyone responding to the gospel that I continue to share? How long do we have to deal with COVID? Lord, when are you coming back? You ever ask God questions like these? I find myself asking that last one with more and more impatience lately. Now, we ought to urgently want Jesus to return, right? Some of the last words in the Bible are, Amen, come Lord Jesus. That's a good desire that God has put in our heart. But the longer we wait for it and the more we see things fall apart in the world around us, the easier it is for us to shift from that joyful hope in God's promise to impatient frustration with God for delaying his fulfillment of it. We go from saying, amen, come Lord Jesus, to Lord, why aren't you here yet? Like Abram, we want proof that God's going to keep his promise. That's why we need to remember the cross when we grow impatient because the cross is our proof. It's the proof that God keeps his promises and the cross is a reminder of God's patient grace for us at just the right time, Paul says. While we were still sinners, while we were still unrighteous, Christ, the righteous one, died for us. And we've been given his righteousness and that righteousness is ours forever. We don't get more of it when we patiently trust God and we don't get less of it when we impatiently question him. God can handle your questions. When we ask, as Abram did, Lord, what can you give me? You know what he replies with? I've given you my son. When we ask, Lord, how can I know, like Abram does, God replies with, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son that I love. When we question what God is doing, he takes us not just outside to the stars, he takes us to his word and shows us his son. He shows us the cross. He shows us the resurrection, and he patiently and graciously invites us over and over and over again to trust him. Even when we are impatient with God, God is patient with us. Like Abram, we don't have perfect obedience. We don't have perfect faith. None of us is claiming that in here. I hope you're not. 
but because our faith is in the perfect one who never fails, listen, never fails to keep his promises, we have his perfect righteousness. So when we start to grow impatient with the way things are in our lives, we must take that impatience to the cross of Jesus Christ and be reminded over and over again of the patient grace grace of our covenant God. When we're tempted to say, God, what are you doing? We ought to say, God, what have you done? He's faithful to keep his promises, and so we should trust him to do so. We've heard that message a lot in Genesis already, haven't we? It's because we need to be reminded of it a lot. Aren't you thankful that God is patient and gracious to remind us over and over and over. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all the work that you have done to bring us to yourself. We thank you that we are righteous in Christ, not of our own doing, but freely given it through faith in him. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see your tenderness, that we could come uh, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can find help in our time of need. That even when we come impatiently, that you gently and patiently and graciously redirect us to the proof of your commitment to us through Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that you would strengthen our trust when we wonder, when we wander, when we don't know why, we pray, God, that you would settle our hearts and give us the endurance that we need to continue to patiently wait upon the God who is faithful and who will bring all of his promises to pass because every one of them is yes and amen in Jesus. We thank you that you've given us Christ now and forever. We pray this in his name. Amen.